Welcome to The Jesus Follower, a podcast about helping ordinary people be close to an extraordinary God. The goal? To help you experience the life you were designed to live in the good times, tough times, and in the moments that nobody else sees. All right. I will say I'm glad to have Adam and Vanessa and the boys here this morning as well. All the way from the good land of Kentucky. So glad you brought that up with you today. I felt it when I got close to you. I appreciate that. That's good. No, we are glad to see them. And uh, so, so today I, I wanted to, in line of, I feel like the Lord led to this place. We're going to be in the book of John again. And I just had on my mind, I, I just felt like this, this concept of remembering because we were, you know, this is kind of a time where we reflect and we remember the things that, uh, what, what's been paid, the price and how God has been so good to us. Um, and I think the number one thing when we look at the shape of our country and everything it's going through, the number one thing that we all need to be doing for our country is pray, isn't it? I mean, for, for our leadership, we need, to, we need to be faithfully praying. Hopefully you're doing that. We're faithfully praying for our country because we, we definitely need it. The leaders need it. Um, and, and we know that God can do things that no one else can and does things that no one else can. So uh, we want to be diligent prayer warriors for our country. But for the, for the uh, message this morning out of John 18, uh, 18 and 19, we're going we're gonna to look at a couple different places, but we're going to talk about a, a love that remains. Um, and it's not just what, you know, it's easy for us to look at Jesus and say, you know, he did so many good things for us and, and he did, but he also didn't do some things that he could have done that I think he also needs to be praised and glorified for as well. And so we're going to, we're going to look at those. I don't know if I've ever, I've ever uh, preached a message on that side of things, but I really felt like this is where the Lord was leading us to today. And so I'm very thankful for the opportunity to do this. Uh, but you know, we, we as people, a lot of times we are people that take the path of least resistance, right? Y'all identify? I mean, we, we, we kind of, we want to find those places in life that's going to be the least problematic places, and we like to go down those routes and avoid, it seems like, or I do sometimes at all costs, those routes in life that look like that they could be very problematic. Uh, but, but you know, when it comes to Jesus, Jesus really didn't take the path of least resistance, did he? He actually took the path of most resistance, seemingly, you know, and what he stepped into and what he faced, it was kind of completely opposite from what we often do. And, uh, and, and I'm reminded of just this in life, the way that I live life, the way that my mind works, I'm reminded of this desire to take the path of least resistance over and over again. And I, I want to give a couple examples. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you all know that uh, I was blessed to take, a, it was going to be a sibling trip, but it ended up being just me and my sister went to Utah for a day. I know it's kind of crazy, right? So we were there for a day, came, went down one day, came back the next day, and we hiked this area called Angel's Landing. And I've talked to some of you about that. And Angel's Landing, you know, is uh, come to find out it's one of the tougher paths in Zion National Park. But like normally, I did very little, little to no research at all on what this path was. I just went, you know, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. We'll do it. Now, I didn't really know. I should have, it should have been a hint to me when my brother said, I don't know if I would do the end part of this. It looks too sketchy. I should have known there was something there because he, he doesn't typically shy away from things like that. 
But we, when we got to the, to the end or towards the end, there's this, there's this part that where you, they've got chains like hammered into the rocks and uh, on poles and you're, the cliff's over here and you're hanging onto the chains to get you around so you don't fall off the cliff. I mean, I really didn't look want to fall off the cliff. And so we were, uh, we were very carefully, but I remember there was a moment when I looked back at my sister and I saw the fear. Have you ever seen that in someone's eyes? You know, the fear wasn't there until you looked down. And then the fear became real because there really was, uh, you were just going to, you'll get to see Jesus if you were a believer, but, but you were just, you're going home at that point. If the chain doesn't hold, if your, if your grip slips, you know, I mean, it was right on the edge and there was a very, there was a moment there where there was some very real terror. Okay. And I was, I was crossing the chain and I looked back at my, and, and, and have you ever seen somebody get ready to go into an anxiety attack? Where, where their eyes get real, and, and, and it looks like they're trying to grab her. Like, that's what I saw in my sister. And I thought, oh, no, what are we going to do? Because now it's too late, right? We're on, the, we're on the chains. We're in trouble. But I was like, Casey, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Let's just keep going. I was like, okay, all right. So uh, in, in our journey going up to this, this point, we met this couple, this German couple that, uh, that was also trying to rush and get to the end and get back. They wanted to get to the top. But I remember as we got to the hard part, I really began to second guess, do I want to go to the end? Because once we were holding on to the chains and I saw the fear in my sister and I began to, I looked down a couple of times and I experienced a very real fear. I, I started really getting to the point where I was like, okay, I can go a little bit just so I said, I, so I can say I did it, but I don't know if I want to go to the end. And so I look at my sister. I said, Casey, do you want to keep going? Yeah, we got to go to the end. I think we should turn back. No, no, we made it this far. We got to go to the end. Okay. So we just hang on to the chains, the death grip all the way through from chain to chain. And then when the chain split, it got really scary because now you're walking and there's nothing to hold on to. So we get on all fours. There's no shame in that. I got on all fours. I'll just tell you that. I was terrified. And then we got to this place uh, where we were almost there. We had one more climb left to do. And we ran into the German couple that we were, had befriended on the path. And they, I, I said, hey, did you make it all the way? And they said, no, we didn't make it all the way, but we figured we need to get back. We need to make sure we leave enough time to get back. And, and so we're going to turn back. And I'll tell you, as you get to hard places, if you already have some doubt and then you run into the one that said, oh, it's far enough, we're going to go back, it even makes it harder to go all the way to the end because now you have a good excuse. The ones we were kind of hanging with, they didn't make it, and they're fine. They made it far enough. So I looked at my sister. What do you think? We got to go to the end. All right. So we keep going. We keep going. We made it all the way to the top. And, and everyone told us when we got there that it would be worth it. I mean, it was very beautiful. Uh, was it worth the terror? I don't know if it was worth the terror, but it was very beautiful when we got up there. But one of the things that, that I found just in that, that situation was this, is that in life, when, when we get to the hard places, uh, we really need one another to encourage us to continue on, don't we? 
Because, you know, sometimes we underestimate, you know, a lot of people, I've heard people say, you know, you don't need to go to church to, to serve God or to worship. And, and, and a lot, I hear that often. But the reality is, is the word of God says we actually do need one another. He actually says in Hebrews that we don't need to forsake the assembling together of ourselves. Like, I need you to come alongside. And when the path gets hard to say, come on, we can keep going. Now, the other day I was running and Kaya actually yelled that at me. I don't know if I need to yell in, okay? I need just some, some light encouragement would be good, okay? But we need one another to do that. And I, and I just find, I found as I was going, I was thinking through the way I was processing that. As the journey got tougher, I started really being okay with not making it to the end but turning back. And then as I saw other people not making it to the end and turning back, I really was okay with just giving up a little bit early, not going quite all the way, but turning back just a little sooner because after all, other people were doing it and they seemed okay with it. You know, when I was in officer training, I, I had this moment in time where I really wasn't looking forward to phase one. And I've shared this phase one. They just, they told us, and Kurt probably knows a little bit about this and the military guys, they told us how bad it was going to be. And I really dreaded it. Tiffany can tell you as well. And I, it was one of those things where I had the option of getting out if I wanted to get out. And it was like a day before we were to leave to go to Alabama to go to phase one, which was no sleep and just getting smoked or, mis or smoking loudly too constantly all the time. And I remember I was standing in this room and they said this. They said, if you want to stop, if you want to leave, leave. You're free to go. You can go back to your unit and you can be an enlisted guy and serve your country at your unit. If you want to, you're free to go. You know how hard it is when they free you to go to stay when you know how bad it's getting ready to be? And all of a sudden when they said that, there was a couple guys there that started leaving. All right, I'm out. I'm out. You know how even more hard it is whenever you see other people leaving and you say, okay, I'm not going to be the first one. There's other people that have left before me. But you know, when I think about Jesus, I think about the same thing. Like if... If ever there was somebody who, when the going got tough, they stuck with it to the end, it was Jesus, wasn't it? You know, when, when, when the, we are, are people, myself, when I, I see problems, I, I try to avoid, I'm more than ready to go back. If anybody else kind of encourages that as well, I'm, I'm always really quick to double, uh, to think about it and say, is this really what we want to do? Do I really want to keep going? I know it's going to be hard. You know, is this where I need to be going? And, and I will easily turn around and go the other way. And then I, I look at Jesus and I was reading through John and got to the end and I just looked at Jesus in a little bit of a different way. Because Jesus, not only did, did he know what was coming, but he had a lot of people or he had some people that were there and were willing to do things to support his decision to walk away, really, to protect him, to guard him. Even the government, we know, found no guilt in Jesus. And yet, when Jesus got to that moment, and really it starts in the garden, you really start seeing it, when he got to that moment, he kept going all the way, didn't he? All the way to the end. 
And I thought about that and I thought, how hard is it for us to go all the way to the end? There's a verse in scripture in John 12, and this is very interesting. I just want to share this. And, and Jesus says this verse in verse number 25 in John 12, it says this, he that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, Jesus said that, and do you know that in, in the Gospels, there are six times, at least six times, that this very similar statement is phrased in the Gospels. Some Gospels say it more than once. Twice they'll say and repeat this same concept that says, if, if you love your life here, then you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. That same phrasing is repeated. And one of the things in hermeneutics class they teach you is, if, if something is repeated, it's worth you and I paying attention to. Six times. Some gospel writers write that twice. And these are words that Jesus spoke. And I, and I got to thinking about that. And, and, you know, Jesus really is the correct representation of everything that that verse means. As he says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Or he that loveth his life shall lose it. And, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. This whole concept is the concept that Jesus was all about. He embodied, this is what he was all about and over and over again and I'm sure you're familiar with it we see it repeated in the gospels and it's repeated so that we will pay attention to it so here here's here's what we find about Jesus it's not just about what Jesus did it's about what he didn't do because in the moments when things got bad Jesus didn't leave and I want you to think about that for a minute so sometimes this world will, will try to make people feel or can make folks feel unloved or unwanted or like they don't care and, and all these things. But know this, that Jesus loved you so much that he remained all the way to the end. You know, regardless of what anybody else says or what anybody else does or, or, or how anybody else makes you feel, and, and, and when you get down and when you feel betrayed or you feel neglected, or you always go back to this passage and remember that Jesus is a Savior that loves you so much that when the going got tough, and I'm not just talking about kind of tough, I'm talking about incredibly tough, more than we can ever comprehend, he loved you so much that he did not leave. But he stayed faithful all the way to the end. So I want you to see what that looks like. What he didn't do is what we're going to focus on here today. And if we go to John 18 and we pick up here in the garden, and, and I just want to read, and we'll start at, at verse number 2, uh, and I just want to read down through verse 11 here to begin. And Judas, it said also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus often resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus therefore, knowing all all things that should come upon him went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them, which thou gave, whom thou gavest me, have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword unto the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? And when I, when I came across that verse, here, here's one of the, it just jumped out of the pages of the word to, it, it, to me in that time of reading. Because I thought, what an incredible statement for Jesus to make. Because here's the thing, he did not allow his followers to physically defend him. The first thing that we see, he did not allow his followers to physically defend him. Simon Peter, for all of the mistakes that Simon Peter made, and we know that Simon Peter often shot off at the mouth and did so, so quickly and found himself in trouble. But here, he's thinking, man, they're coming to get you, Jesus. You have told us what's going to happen. I am going to defend. We will not let this happen. So just instead instinctively takes a sword. Now it's interesting to think about because later on down, this is going to be the same one that denies Jesus three times, right? But for this moment, he's, he's thinking correctly and he, or in his mind and he takes the sword and chops off Malchus's ear. And then Jesus says these words, put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? So let's think about this. Did Jesus know that Judas would be able to lead them to where he was in the garden? Yeah. You know, isn't that an incredible thought? Like, Jesus knew they would find him in the garden, but he still went to the garden. I mean, think about that. You know, you, you think about when, when problems are going to come and when troubles come and when, if we know we're in danger, a lot of times we're not thinking, hey, let's go to the place where they can find me. We're thinking, hey, let's hide somewhere so they can't find me because the danger is coming. Like, let's protect ourselves. Let's run for the hills. Let's, let's guard ourselves against whatever's going to come. But we see Jesus, he goes to the very place where he knew that they would be able to find him, a place he had frequented before, and he knew without a shadow of a doubt that they would be showing up, but yet he didn't run away. He stayed. Think about that. And then when the guards came and, and he had his, his, his disciples around him that were ready to physically defend him, he put a stop to it. And he said, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Now, now I look at that and I say, what did he not do? Well, Jesus did not run and hide, did he? Jesus did not try to escape what was coming from the Father, even though he knew, because verses prior to this, we knew, we know how things went for him in the garden. Like, we understand the agony and the fear. We under, or not the fear, but the agony. We understand the burden that, it, that was upon him as the sin of the world was getting ready to be upon his shoulders. We understand that he prayed so fervently that drops of sweat fell like blood we understand those things but yet still he stayed Jesus stayed because the cup the father had for him he was going to see it through all the way to the end and even when his disciples said I will defend you and chopped off the ear Jesus said no 
I've got a different mission. You know, last week we talked about how what Jesus did just, just destroys all of my expectations, all of my everything. I'm just like, I can't believe you would do it so well. And when I look at this passage and I see him say something like that, I'm like, how do you do that? Like, what a Savior, right? Like, if ever, if ever there's a time where you doubt the love of the Savior, just remember that, that he stayed in the garden. He went to the garden. He remained. He quieted those that were going to defend him in the flesh in that moment. And he said, no, I know the Father's mission, and I'm going to see it through to the end. But the Father's mission was you. Do you know that? It was for you. It was for me. You are what God sent his son for. It's you. I mean, there, there's, so many, there's so many things that wants to cast that aside. So much of the world wants to make us feel differently than that. But you have to remember that the reason Jesus was in that garden was to pay the price for us that we couldn't pay for ourselves. And when he could have rallied the troops around him and said, okay, let's go. He said, Peter, he actually put the ear back on Malchus, didn't he? And he said, Peter, this is why I came. And even though he was praying so fervently, he never left for you and for me. What he didn't do was run away. But not only that, Secondly, if we can jump over to the end of chapter 18, I want you to see this in verse number 38. Also, he didn't, um, he didn't allow the verdict of the government to, to, be, to be a freeing verdict for him. I want you to see this. I, I was reading down through it, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Pilate literally goes out to them time and time again, and, and he says, I don't see anything. Look at all the times that this happens. And in, in, in John 18, verse 38, the first time, one of the first times said, Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again into the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. I find, so he did not, he's, Jesus is not going to take advantage of the government's verdict, right? Like, because how many of us, if they were like, yeah, he's innocent, we'd be like, yeah, dumb, innocent, and we would be gone, right? But not Jesus. You know, not only there, but if you jump down to, to chapter 19, verse 4, Pilate again, he says, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. You jump down to verse 6, when the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Jump down to verse 10, it says, Then saith Pilate unto them, Speakest thou not unto me, no thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? And Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me into thy, thy, thee hath the greater sin. And from henceforth Pilate cried out, saying, or, or sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Look at all the times that the government of of the day, the Roman official of the day said, I find nothing, and not only nothing, I find no fault at all. There is nothing that I see here. He is innocent, he is innocent, he is innocent. But even in an innocent verdict in the government of the day, Jesus did not abandon the mission that God had for him. Jesus did not abandon you and me 
even though the verdict was one of innocence. But we know that that was the verdict of innocent. We understand that that's the reality because uh, he was innocent. He was the only perfect person that ever walked the face of this earth. And we understand that to be the case. And for all he did wrong, as I was reading through, I was like, man, but you had, you had avenues that, uh, that those of us, myself, would have taken to, to be done so you didn't have to suffer like this. You had people that were chopping ears off. You had the government of the Roman Empire that was saying, innocent, innocent, innocent. But Jesus knew the mission that God had for him. And even though the path was hard, the mission wasn't complete yet. And so he remained. He remained. Glory to God, he remained. He did not run away. He did not take that innocent verdict and be done with it. He did not do any of the other things that so many times I look at and I think, hey, I would have been out. We know the agony. We know the struggle. We know the grief. We know how overwhelming. We know all of those things. But in the moments in time when he could have taken advantage or maybe we would have, he said, I love them. I love him. I have a mission to complete. And whatever the Father has given me, I've got to drink the cup. And so he stayed. That's incredible to me because I'm someone that would easily have run away when it got too hard. I was talking to my kids the other day, and I, and I told them, you know, we was talking about Romans 5, and I said, you know, uh, Jesus died. It says scarcely for a righteous man. Some would die at peradventure for a good man. You know, it'd be a lesser of a chance, basically, but God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinned, we know that passage. And I said, you know, the reality is, is that, that I would have been done a long time ago. Like, I would have never made it as far. I believe that with all my heart is what Jesus did. Like, when all these things came into play, when all these difficulties and all these challenges, I would have cut out a long time ago just because I know myself, and I know my weakness, and I know my struggle. But the Savior that we serve did not, even when there, there was an innocent verdict from the government, he said, look, I'm not going to fight this. I'm not going to battle. I'm not going to ask my zealous followers to rise up and revolt. He said, this is the mission from God, and I'm going to stay. And remember, he did it for you, and he did it for me. He stayed. Didn't have to, or he didn't. He, to complete the mission, that was the mission, but he, but he stayed. And then finally, I saw this. And this took me back to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And you may remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. But uh, I, I want you to see, if you go in John 19 and go to verse number 14 and 15. It says this, and it was the preparation of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Do you remember back in the Old Testament whenever God was the king and they were under theocracy in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and the people began to look around and, and they saw other nations have kings and they said, you know, we want a king like everybody else. Y'all remember that? And they rejected God as king and they said, no, as a matter of fact, we don't want you fighting our battles. We don't want you lead us anymore. We want to be a king like everybody else. And Samuel was broken by that, right? I mean, he was distraught. He said, Lord, how can they do this? Like you are the one that rescued them. You are the one that saved them. You are the one that gave them this land. And now they're saying, we don't want you to be king anymore. 
And God said, yes, listen to what they say, Samuel, and, but tell them first and warn them about what is going to come with the king like everybody else. And so Samuel did just that, and he lined out the entire warning just as God had said it. And when it was all said and done, the people still said, hey, we want a king like everybody else. And so God, God gave them that, but, but he said one thing that really sticks out to me uh, in, in that chapter, and I want to I share that with you, just a, a warning about it. In verse number 18 of that chapter, 1 Samuel 8, And ye shall cry out in that day, God said, because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. You shall cry out in the Lord. That was part of the warning about wanting a king like everybody else. You shall cry out in that day and the Lord will not hear you. But the people still wanted a king like everybody else. And then I, I flip over to John and I see that the king came down, right? Like, like Jesus came down. The king of kings and Lord of lords came down to the earth to live on this earth and to walk and to, and to live perfectly and to set an example and to pay a price. Like he had a mission that he came down to fulfill. And he came down for us and lived perfectly on this earth. And, and he was the king in the flesh. He came for us. And yet when it came down to it, the people were still crying the same thing that they did in the Old Testament. They were still crying. The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. They still were stuck in a place where they wanted a king of this world. And I think about the grand scheme of things. How would it feel to us if we came to die for people that didn't even want to acknowledge us as king? How would it feel if in the moment when we had left heaven and sacrificed so much to come here and to live life here and to set the example and to teach, to teach these very same people diligently to teach them the truth of the word of God and who God was and to desire and to love them, desire for them to know God. How would it feel if in the moment like this, instead of saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, they yell, crucify, crucify, crucify. He's not our king. Caesar is our king. How would that feel? I tell you, I, I get frustrated for a lot less than that. I get my feelings hurt a lot easier than that. I would be ready to give up and to leave a lot sooner than getting to this point. But you know, whether we say it or whether we live like it, sometimes we can be guilty of portraying the same thing in our life, can't we? Because, because Jesus, you know, if we call him Lord, that means that Jesus calls the shots in our life, or he should. He gets the, uh, the main amount of time. He gets the main amount of finances. He gets the main amount of effort. He gets the, main, he gets the first fruits of everything. That's what, that's what he should get as the king, right? Like the, the king didn't, you didn't bring to the king what was left over. You brought to the king what was best. Um, and so you would give him your first fruits. You would bring the unblemished. You would do all the things that God said in the Old Testament that we should be doing as his children, right? Like he wasn't going to accept if Israel brought a lamb that was blemished. That's not what it was about. You were to bring your best and your first fruit because that's what you give to the king. And you see whether or not I look at this and I'm like, how could you do this? Do you not understand who he is? And you're saying we are going with Caesar on this one instead of on this one that is suffering and dying for us. But yet, in a similar way, if we're not careful, 
When we allow anything else to take precedence in our life over him, we're not treating him like a king. We're allowing other things to have rule on the throne of our lives. And even though we may not, and this is the way in America I think sometimes we can do it, even though we may can justify around it, our actions will always tell the tale, won't they? So we can, we can say all day, I mean, we can really say, hey, I would never do this like I would. I read this passage, I'm like, you Pharisee, what's the matter with you? Are you kidding me? Like, this is the only perfect one that ever walked the earth, and he's here for you, and he's dying for you. He's told you that. He's tried to share that with you, and you're still yelling what you're yelling. But then I can look at my life and I can see that there are many times when, when Jesus is not uh, always treated like the king of my life. I can see many times in my life where I would definitely not say this, but I would live like that is the case. I choose other things. I give my time to other places. What if I don't give my tithe as a first? You know, there is a lot of things that I can do that shows that I'm not really treating him like a king either. But I want you to know that even in the midst of the Christ crucified, he stays because this is a love that remains. Even when the path gets hard, even when people are ready to defend, he silences. When the government says you're innocent, he, st he doesn't say a word. When his own people that he came to die for say, crucify him, crucify him, he is not our king. He died for the very ones that were yelling that. He died for the very ones, and I tried to, I was talking to Braylon, I think he died for the ones that was going to spit in his face. He died for the ones that was smacking him. He died for the ones that had the whip, the cat of nine tails that was ripping the flesh from his back. He died for every single one of them. He died for you that would make mistakes and fall short of the glory of God. And for me, likewise, like all of us that needed so much a king, even though our life doesn't always acknowledge it, even though we are sinful beings he stayed even when it got hard like so unbearably hard that I don't believe I would have been able to endure it our king our savior stayed all the way to the end and this is convicting for me because a lot of times when it comes to our service for him We'll surrender to a point, but then we have our limits. We'll give to a point, but once we meet that, meet that point, we're done. And a lot of times, I, would be, I think I would be safe to say, it's not a point where we're praying and sweat's falling from our brow like drops of blood in a garden. We stop short a point way before we ever get to that moment. But church, we got to ask ourselves this. We got to challenge ourselves with this because that's not the example that our Savior set for us. 
I praise God, right? Like I'm so thankful that, that when, when times got tough, because how much of Jesus' life was tough? The majority of it, right? Like there was a ton of time where his life was tough, where he was mistreated wrongfully, where he was abused verbally, physically. He was abused in many ways. Like where he, he even knew the heart and the thought of people. He understood what they were thinking negatively about him. But there was never a point where he was like, you know what? I'm done with these people. It's too much. His love remained all the way to the end, all the way to the cross, and all the way to the other side when he rose victorious for you and for me. So for us today, as we think about Memorial Day and we think about remembering, I wanted to take a minute this morning to remember Jesus and what he's done for us. Because a lot of times, it's like, and I used to say this, when, when, when I'm privileged to preach, when I leave the pulpit, I want to leave everything that I can there. Like, I want to give everything. When I do, when we're part of ministry, when we're part of serving him and living our life for him, my desire, and I pray it's your heart's desire as well, is that we will leave everything there. Like, we will lay it all down as a sacrifice at the altar at his feet. All of our life, all of our time, all of our, our everything about who we are, that we will see it through to the end. Because the example that was set for us was all the way to the end. This cup that my father has for me, shall I not drink it? The Savior that we serve didn't stop short of what we needed. He stayed true all the way to the end. So here's the question for us today, for me as well. How often are we stopping short of what he's calling us to do? How often are we stopping short in our devotion? How often are we, are we giving him second best? How often do we, do we just give bare minimum and say, look, I think that's good enough. And then we look at the life of Jesus and we say, that's not good enough. That's not what he did for us. He didn't give us bare minimum. He gave everything. He literally left heaven and came down and took on everything. Everything he gave. He, he, he laid it all down on your and my behalf. There should never be a time when he's not worthy of our second best. He's not worthy of us stopping short. He's worthy of everything, right? Everything. So as we have a, have a time of remembering today, I, I want you to, th I just wanted you to, I think God wanted you to see Jesus. Just, just to see Jesus. Like, I know this is nothing that, this is not something that you've never heard before, but it's not really intended. I, I, I just think he wants you to see Jesus today. High and lifted up. I want you to know that he did the things that he did, but to also know that he didn't do, he didn't try to escape. He didn't try to want to run away. He didn't try to avoid the very challenging mission and, and path that God had for him, but he remained. And he remained for you. Like that connection needs to be made for you. He didn't die for his sin. He died for yours and for mine. He didn't need that. We needed him. So as we take a, a moment this weekend to remember so many, the main one that we need to remember is Jesus. 
Because when the going got tough, he didn't do what Daniel does and think, how can I get around this? Maybe I need to turn back. Maybe I need to find a loop. He said, look, my, my father has given, given me this mission and I have to complete it all the way to the end. They need me. I love them. I've came for them. Even the ones that said, crucify him and said, we want Caesar as king. He said, look, I love you too. And I'm still going to die for you. So as we have a time of invitation this morning and Andrew comes, uh, this is the challenge. Where in your life are you stopping short of what Jesus has called you to do? Where in your life, and it can be anything. Listen, it's not just in ministry. Maybe it's in your devotion time. Maybe it's in the time in prayer. Maybe it's in the time in the word. Where is it that you know and you've read and he's convicting you and say, hey, I want, I want more. I need more. I want more time. I want to grow intimately with you. I want to know you more. Where is that in your life where you're going here and he's saying go here and you're stopping and saying God I'll give you this much but that's it because if that's the way we're bartering with God we're not treating him like king because the king doesn't allow you to just go part way he says you're going to go all the way you're going to do it my way the normal king that like would have been in the Roman Empire the emperor would not have allowed you to just call the shots he called the shots when we say Lord we're saying we have given our life to him and so no more is it our time and our life it is a life given to another and surrendered sacrificial sacrifice or sacrifice surrendered and so with that in mind we have to understand that he does not deserve us stopping short of what he calls us to do. He does not deserve leftover time. He does not deserve leftover energy. He deserves the first fruits. Didn't he always set that precedence in all of the scripture of first fruits? He always did. And we can, we can argue and, or, or, or argue and rethink that or whatever you want to do, but ever since the Old Testament, God's standard was, I want you to bring to me your best because I am God. And Jesus is God and man, isn't he? And so for you and I today, anything less than all is not sufficient for the king. And that's just where we have to come to terms with. I'm so amazed at Jesus remaining all the way. I'm so amazed that, that when it got so hard, his love just shines through so magnificently that there's just not words to really describe it. But one thing that we always need to see as his people is Jesus. Always. Things bog you down, you get wore out, you get, you get overwhelmed, people treat you bad, all these things. People make you feel unloved or unwanted or uncared for. Listen, Jesus is who we need to see. Because Jesus never treated us like that. He always loved you well. He always was gracious. He always was merciful. He always was truthful. He always was everything that we will ever need for all eternity. Always. The cares and the struggles and the distractions and everything that the world will throw at us 
will try to take your mind off that. But Jesus, as we talked about in John 12, brings us back six times in the gospel and says, it's not about you holding on to your life on this earth that brings about victory. It's about you turning your life over to him, and that's when you'll truly find life. It's all at the feet of Jesus. Let's stand together. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord Jesus, we just pray, Father, that we will see you. Lord, that as we get into your word and we just are reminded again and again of your greatness, of your love, of you just being a savior that remains. Lord, I feel like I can be so quick to cut out on you so early sometimes. Thank you for not cutting out on us. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit, we just want to be open to your spirit moving and working in hearts and minds however you would see fit. But Lord Jesus, as our king, to help us to just be at your feet like you are the king. If, we, if we're limiting you and we're, and, and, and we're struggling to go all the way with what you've called us to be, to do, Lord, please help us not to resist. Help us to stop resisting what you may be doing in our life and just to open our heart and mind completely, bowing at your feet and trusting you to do what only you can do. Lord Jesus, thank you for being faithful to repeat over and over again the importance of us not holding on and controlling this life, but letting go to your control. Please help us to do that today. Thank you for being such an excellent Savior. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.